We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we haven't we actually haven't got to a lot of questions today because the ones we've had have been resulted in some very long conversations. So here, here's an interesting one, Ryan. John A1, who are your top five overrated college football coaches of all time? Wow. That is a really good one. <laughs> I need a list. I need to put it down. I mean, just I'm just gonna go off the top of my head. Number one is Les Miles. Ooh, I think he's super one. overrated. People have always considered him like a great coach. He got a title off of Nick Saban's coattails, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think he's super overrated. Oh, man, mm. this is – I'm trying to uh, – Dennis Erickson, very overrated coach. Is he rated high? Do people rate lot, him high? I mean, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, here, let, let's, let's, here, let's do this. Let's pull up uh-huh. some, you know, just good old internet. Top 25 <laughs> coaches of all time. Uh-huh. For college football, and see if any lists come up. Uh, someone put someone put my answer in here. It was the first guy I thought about. Kenny Moore said James Franklin. And I agree, Kenny. <laughs> Super overrated, but all time, like I don't oh, know if, he, if he's not held up. Like no. if we're gonna go co- a current college football, he's at the yeah. very. He's in my top three. Yes, he's, he's in my top right three. Yeah. Let's see here. So uh, Bo Schembechler, twenty three. I know a lot of people that think Bo Schembechler was overrated as a coach. I don't agree with that. I, I don't think – I think that if you were to – like this list right here ranks him 23rd. If you were to rank him fifth, that's overrated. I never won a title. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for being really good over a long period of time. It's like the it's like um, Hall of Fame. There's the mm-hmm. debate of, okay, how do you evaluate a guy like Terrell Davis and Gail Sayers Versus a guy who rushed for a lot of yards over 15 years. Baseball is probably a better example because football, yeah. they don't have the longevity, but you have some of these guys that were like one 300 games, but they played for like 25 years. You don't have to mm-hmm. win a lot of games per year if you pay for 25 years. You know what I mean? It's like getting 3,000 hits, your career 270 hitter, but you just played for 20 plus years. You know, uh, there's the longevity. So to me, I, I you've got to either be a super, super star for a period of time. Or you have to be really good for a long period of time because that's actually really hard to do. 
So mm-hmm. that's where I kind of come down on Bo. I know a lot of people that view that that think Bo is overrated. I just I can't go there for me personally. Mm-hmm. Here's one that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> this may be before your time. I get the people in the chat's okay. question. I know a lot of people who think Bobby Bowden was overrated. I don't think that's the case. He's ranked 15th on this so. list. He's got uh, two titles, so. yeah. and he was good for a long time, and he took over a program that sucked. Yeah. I think that's the I, other thing, too. I, I consider him one of the best coaches of all time. I don't think yeah. he's overrated. Oh, man, Marcus just took mine in the chat, Brian. He just took who who was it? Was Brian it Joe Kelly. Paterno? Brian, Brian Kelly? Kelly. Yeah, super overrated. <laughs> Super overrated. <laughs> the all-time leading coach in Notre Dame history. What are you talking yeah. about, man? He, here's one for me. Here's one for me. Bear Bryant. Now, let, let me explain where I'm coming from on this. I think Bear Bryant yeah. is a great coach. I sure. think he's one of the 10 to 15 best coaches ever. Where I, I, I kind of feel like he had – but he's been put on this like this mythical type of level – that I don't necessarily buy. And I mean, look, five titles and all that kind of stuff, but some of the titles they have are like, yeah, you, you I don't know if you should claim that one. The SEC wasn't super great at some of those times, but like, I just saw the list. He's ranked number two and Nick Saban's number one. And you have Bear, Bear Bryant ahead of Newt Rockney and Frank Leahy. And it's like, eh, I don't know if I can go there. I don't know if I can go there. Here's another one for me, Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno feasted on crap schedules his entire career. And so they get to these bowl games against good teams. It's like, it's like the only good team you played all year. I always thought Joe Paterno was super overrated. Hmm. So those are, those are my all-time guys. This list did not have Dennis Erickson. This list didn't have Jimmy Johnson in it either, which I kind of understand. He didn't coach in college football for a long time. I think Steve yeah. Spurrier is a little bit underrated on this one. But there's a lot of guys on this list. I've never even heard of these guys. And some are like – they're super old, like – you know, fielding Yost. I don't freaking know anything about fielding Yost other than <laughs> he was a flaming anti anti Catholic guy. Let's see, yeah, because this one here has Bear Bryant number one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like Newt Rock. Newt Rock, the thing that hurts Newt Rock is just the longevity because he because he passed away. He died in the accident, so he didn't get to be as long. But what he did was insane. Tom Osborne number four. That's too high for me. That's way too high. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't win a title for like 20 years or something. I mean, something insane like that. Like, he coached a long time. He had some really good teams. But, like, top five coach of all time, uh-uh. I can't, I can't go there. I can't go there on that one. I can't go there on that one. Let's see here. He won two and a half national titles, I guess, is a better way of saying it, because he split one with Michigan. I'm, I'm combing through that list that you have up to now. Yeah, um, Joe Paterno seven. I just can't go. I can't go there with that. Like, see, that's the thing. Is like, I can admit that Joe Paterno is a really successful coach, but like top ten to fifteen, I just I can't I can't go there. You have Woody Hayes ahead of Frank Leahy. That's absurd. Let's see here. Barry Switzer at thirteen. That's too high. Yeah, I agree on that one. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, so see, we we should change this to top five most overrated coaches in college football yeah. now that would be a little more yeah fun. that'd be a little easier yep i'd be a little easier yeah some some of these some of these guys it's like this one had this one had uh larry karras the 28th if you're going to include d3 guys in here how can you not have larry karras hire like do you know who larry karras is is it Ryan? mountain union he's a mountain union yeah so if you, like first of all i don't think you should compare 
D3 coaches to D1 coaches because it's such a different animal. I mean, I, with all due respect, I coach that level. Larry yeah. Karras from 1993 to 2012 won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 national championships from 1993 to 2012. And good. he was also semi-quarter – so he, he, he went to the semifinals the first time in 92, won his first title in 93, quarterfinal, semifinal, championship 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 semifinal championship 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 semifinal or championship loss semifinal championship 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 loss championship three straight years where he lost the championship and then another championship his worst season from 1992 to 2012 his worst season was 12 was 10 and 2 in 94 after that he had a couple 12 and 1 seasons like if you're going to include him then you have to make him a top five to 10 coach. I mean, you have to, which is why he shouldn't be included. Name me another coach that has 11 national championships and basically like a 20, 25 year span and has one, two, three, four, five, six, five, number two finishes. Right. So if, and they had like John Gallardi over him, the guy from St. John's who won, like, he was a great coach, but he, again, he coached forever. That's why he's in, he's in that, that list. So they have John Gillardi head of, of Larry Karras because he coached from 1949 to 2012. And he has the all time, you know, like he's like super high in coach. He won one, two, three, two, two national, two national championships. He was a St. John's from 19, let's see, 53 to 2012. He won two NAIA championships at St. John's. And then when they joined Division Three in the 70s, they won two national championships from the 70s to 2012. And you're going to have him ranked ahead of Larry Karras. What was Larry Karras's all-time record? Very curious on that. It was 332, 24, and 3. <laughs> That's insane. Which is why he shouldn't be in the conversation with other Division One coaches. That's It's a different level. But if you're going to yeah. include him, he's got to be higher than 28th. Like yeah. that's a little nutty. That's a, that's very that's very nutty. It's yeah, a little nutty. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> very nutty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dabo Sweeney thirty first. Dabo's been good for like five years. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry, Dabo. Dabo's not. You got Dab. No, sorry, you have Dabo ahead of Jim Tressel. You know who I thought was a little overrated? Just a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I really did like Bob Stoops, but I thought he was a little overrated. Just yeah, just they a, have him. Hair. They have him 29th on this list. Here's yeah. who they have him ahead of. They had him have him ahead of John Robinson, have him ahead of Jim Trestle. How do you have Bob Stoops ahead of Jim Trestle? If you're going to include what guys did at lower levels, which they are if they have Larry Karras, how do you not have Jim Trestle in there? He's got like three national championships at Ohio State and the one double. Bob Stoops has one national title. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That one they have they have Bob Stoops over Pete Carroll. Didn't that didn't that USC beat Oklahoma by like 50 in a title game one year? With Jason White, right? They smashed yeah. him, didn't they? Yeah. Destroyed him. Yeah. Yep. That one doesn't – yeah, Bob Stoops ahead of Daryl Royal. I'm not <laughs> sure if I can go with you there. I'm definitely not sure. Yeah, they, in this li- – when did this list come out? This list came out in 2019. They had Frank Beamer ahead of Urban Meyer. Now, Frank Beamer's ahead of Urban Meyer in the, the human decency list, for sure. <laughs> but – how do you have him over Urban Meyer as a, as a coach? Urban Meyer won, what, three national titles? Frank Beamer won zero. Now, Frank was a great coach, Hall of Famer, but come on. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, Jimmy Johnson, 40. Yeah. Jimmy Johnson, one spot ahead of Lloyd Carr. Hmm. How's Lloyd Carr that high? Right. That's (laughs) what I was thinking, too. (laughs) I'm sorry. Bill Snyder, 55th, too low, in my opinion. Uh, Bill Snyder's a great coach. Yeah. Great coach. Definitely too low, in my opinion. Yeah. He should be higher on that list. This is an interesting list. I'm going to have to study this one of these days. This is very, very interesting. Who is who is the coach that was at Nevada for a long time? And like Chris, quietly, Chris Alt. Chris Alt. He was a really yeah. good coach for a long time. Just didn't get any credit at all. And he revolutionized certain things. And I respect that. The, pi- the pistol, right? He, he right. was a big pistol guy. Right. Yep. He kind of made that a thing. Yeah. You have Brian Kelly, 89th, ahead of Barry Alvarez. Okay. Ahead of Barry Brian Alvarez. Kelly, ahead of Hayden Fry. Wait, where did they have Barry Alvarez? On they had list? Brian Kelly ahead of Howard Schnellenberger, who, you know, won titles. You know, come on. Give me a break. This Sounds like they had Alvarez pretty low, too. I like They had Alvarez. John Cooper ahead of Chris Alt. Hey, Chris Alt, um, 99th. Chris Alt was a really good coach. Yes, he was. Really coach. Hilarious. Anyway, let's get back on track. That's some good <laughs> stuff. We should, we, should do, we should do a show on that. I'm actually going to write that down. Best coaches... And we're going to do a show this summer on the best who we we're going to rank our 10 to 15 best coaches in college football. We're going to rank them. And then we're also going to do most overrated coaches. I, I want to pull this comment up real quick. Cause yeah. from Ben G 1801 says, oh, is God. this big game boomers list? Have you seen that? They guy come out with the worst lists. Oh, it's like the, the, at, at first, first I thought they tried. Now yeah. I feel like they do things just to create, like that's what happens in the social media world, Ryan, is mm-hmm. people do things and then they start getting attention and then they start doing things for attention. Right. And some of the lists they've come up with recently are just some of the just the dumbest things you could it's, possibly it's, see. It's, it's clickbait, man. But it's not yeah. even monetized clickbait. It's just right. clickbait. So- well, so, sometimes people, the, it's the attention that feeds them. It's the gotcha. likes. They're, they're, like there are people literally like. They just they do nothing but focus on did I get likes? Look, well, how many likes I got? How many followers I have? They're obsessed with it. It's that's silly. weird. That's silly. It's I mean, very, I I, very I, I appreciate the followers, but like you know, yeah. I'm 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 trying to make a living. Sure. You know, sure, so. exactly. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, boy. Good question, John. Blaine Tiller, which quarterback will fare best against Notre Dame? C.J. Stroud, C. Williams, Williams. Caleb Williams. Uh, Phil Dracovic, Caleb Williams, Phil Dracovic, and DJ Uyunglele. I think I said that somewhat right. Considering the offense they will have around them and the Notre Dame defense this year under Golden. There are some good quarterbacks on the list this year. And nobody said he didn't say Tanner McKee. Hey, I've been reading on mock drafts that Tanner McKee is <laughs> going to be a top 10 NFL draft pick next year, Blaine. So I don't know why you're sleeping on Tanner McKee here, buddy. I say with utter sarcasm oozing out of my pores. I like Tanner McKee, but come on, man. Like, uh, kid's talented. I, kid's talented, but I, yeah, I agree. Seriously, I watched yeah. a Kentucky game last night because it's like, man, I got to watch Will Levis again because what the heck am I missing? And I'm like, yeah, I was right. Like, no, he's not. No, I'm sorry. Uh, he's not that. Which guy's going to fare the best against Notre Dame? I know who I hope fares the best. And I hope, I know who I hope fares the least. I mean, to me, I, I hope that CJ Stroud and DJ have the worst games. Because I think they have the best supporting casts. Yeah. And so if they play and, really well, it's going to be. And you want you want Phil Dracovic to have the best game. There's no question. Lose. There's no question. I want him to. I <laughs> yep. want to. I want to. You know what I would love? This is going to sound crazy. Here's my dream scenario for how this season plays out for Notre Dame. They go 10-0 and 0 to start the season. Great team. Number one in the country. And we all think we're going to get a repeat of BC 93. Phil leads BC down the field. They kick a field goal with a minute left, and we're thinking, oh, here we go. Phil's going to pay back. Phil has a big game. Zay Flowers has a big game. It's payback. Notre Dame was overlooking BC, thinking USC, all this other kind of stuff, and here we go again. And then Tyler Buckner comes in, leads him back on a game-winning drive to win the game. That, to me, would be a great scenario because I have a great deal of respect for Phil, his family. I'm hugely rooting for Zay Flowers now after what happened. I would love to see Phil have a big game there but I still want to see Notre Dame win. And I feel like that would also give Notre Dame fans that redemption. It's like it would slay that 93 dragon of the BC game, you know, uh, where you give it back to them. And then of course the next week you go out and curb stomp USC to go 12 and 0 and you're the number one seed in the college football playoff. That, that, that would be, that would be a dream scenario for me. So yeah. how, what what is, what are your thoughts on this one, Ryan? I, I mean, I think I feel the same. I was going to say, like, I I obviously like Phil Dracovic as you know, just a young man and a player as well. I mean, he should be a guy that I think is talked about a little more in those early NFL mock drafts, to be honest. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I like Phil, and he's on the worst team that was listed there. Most well, USC mm-hmm. or Boston College. Let's have a debate there someday. But least talented of the player of the teams listed there. So. I don't think that hurts you tremendously if he has a great game. I mean, you obviously have to play well, but I'd say the guys that worry me the most are with the team involved would be Stroud, DJ, then Caleb, then Phil. Not that not that DJ's better than Caleb because he's not. It's more the team around him. Caleb could lead USC to 38 points and their name still wins by 10. Exactly. Like with Clemson's defense, DJ doesn't have to lead them to 40 points to win. You know, I mean, because this defense is going to be better again, unless they have three of their best players out like they did in 2020. Right. Which, you know, but yeah, I, I, to your point, I think DJ playing better, he's going to have a better system. I mean, Caleb could put up big numbers and they could still lose. He did that several times in the Big 12 last year. 
And they're going to, you know, Notre Dame's obviously a better team than that. Here's, here's a good question, Ryan. From John A1, has modern football left the middle linebacker position undervalued? Seems like more emphasis is going to hybrid outside linebackers to pri- as to prime to as to primarily second level players. I need I think we need to specify this, Ryan. I think we need to specify college and NFL. Yeah. Because I, I think the games are different enough to where I I don't think it's undervalued in the NFL. I do think yeah. it's undervalued in college football. I, th- I think the for the NFL, I think the just the prototype of what a middle linebacker looks like is changing a little bit, but I don't think it's less valuable at all. I mean, it's because it, especially when you're running, you're going to be running a lot more lighter boxes now, right? Because every team's in sub package now. So you might only have two linebackers on the field the majority of the time. So having a guy that can handle the run, I think that's where people really miss on him. I, I, I historically do very well at linebacker evaluations. I really do because I think a lot of people undervalue they just love these great athletes on the second level, which I'm like, yeah, I, I, I value great athletes on the second level as well, but I also value eyes discipline mm-hmm. as a run filler, being able to stop the run because they are a run first player still, even in the modern game, they're still a run first player. So that's why I think people missed on a Nick Bolton last year. He came out of Missouri because he's a little shorter and he wasn't the greatest athlete, but it's like, but guys, are, are you watching the film? Nobody can but look who they hyped them. up. They hyped up exactly. the kid from Kentucky who had production, but like just we saw you it this year too. It. Yeah, we saw it this year too. It. Quay Walker's the first linebacker off the board. Leo Chanel doesn't go to pick hundred. Leo Chanel is going to be a better football player in the NFL, I believe, than Quay yeah. Walker, just flat out. So, yep, good question there. I think that in college football, teams are not putting enough value on middle linebackers like Junior Two Alamaka. And the reason I say that is, is it's kind of like what you said, Ryan, but I think it's being undervalued in, in college football because there's this notion of, well, you know, you got to get speed on the field. And I understand all that, but a middle linebacker still needs to be a run defender. And the the, the more that teams are going to this speed, you're going to see more and more teams start running at you more and more and more and more and more. Because if you're going to try to put a 220-pound – and we saw this with Notre Dame. You try to put a 220-pound linebacker that can run but not a real strong kid, you're, you're, you're going to – some of those teams are just gonna be able to run on you up the middle. And that's just the reality. I think being able to to be able to have a thumper at middle linebacker like a junior two Alamaka, and I've talked about this in the past, Ryan, before I hired you. We talked about this during recruiting last year. If you have the potential to have a five-man box with a kid like Junior Two Alamaka, and and you have safeties that can, you know, can come down, but you can do a lot defensively if you have that kind of middle linebacker. Now, again, he's got to be able to run. You can't he can't be a just a tackle to tackle guy. But if you can have a kid that can be a force up the middle and you can constantly insert five guys into those gaps, you're going to have a chance to be a pretty good run defense if, if you have some other pieces in place. You replace that guy with a 225-pound really fast kid that's not real physical, you're going to be fine against some teams, but you're going to get thumped by Alabama. You're going to get thumped by Notre Dame. You're going to get thumped by Ohio State. You're going to get thumped by those teams that know how to run the football and, and have talent. So I, I think that that's why one of the reasons I loved Junior Tillamaka because you can do a lot with him in this defense that then frees you up to do some other things with a Marist, with a you know Jalen Sneed, with some of these other athletic guys because you have that big thick kid that can move right there in the middle of your defense. I, I think there's value to that in my opinion, and not enough you, people you, are doing that. You know what else I think Alabama's defenses haven't been great over the last couple of years. You know what I really think it is is the fact that you're having underdeveloped linebackers like Dylan Moses and Christian Harris over the last couple of years. Like yep. Those guys haven't developed, and they haven't been big-time players from the middle linebacker position, which I think has hurt them tremendously. 
Well, and I think part of the reason they haven't developed Ryan is because they're athletes, not necessarily football players, right? Like if Christian Harris had the instincts of the kid that they have that they got from Hawaii or from De La Salle, he'd he'd be a first round draft pick. He'd be a top fifteen draft pick, right? In my yeah. opinion, right? Because mm-hmm. that kid's got. I mean, that kid just isn't the athlete. Like if he had if he had Manti Teo's instincts and feel for the game, he'd be a, he'd be a really great player. And it's, it's kind of like they're all trying to find a, the next Jalen Smith from what he was in college, right? But Jalen had instincts. Jalen had Jalen knew how to play the game before his knee injury. And, and so I think you're right. Alabama has gone away from what worked. And, you know, they've got these really athletic guys that are wrong-fitting and, you know, you can manipulate with RPOs. You can manipulate with move. Because here's the thing, guys like that, you can manipulate big time. Hey man, this kid. As soon as this kid sees a pulling guard, he's he's gone. He's taken off. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna pull the kids that, that way and run buck sweep or run sweep away or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and you better hope your safeties are. I think that's the second part. Alabama has not been as good the last couple of years overall as they were in the past at linebacker, inside linebacker, and safety because they don't have the erasers at safety to make up for the mistakes at linebacker. I think yeah. it's a double-edged sword. I and mean, they've, they've had good safeties, but not the kind of elite guys they had in the past that if you did make a mistake at linebacker, they were there to clean it up. And right. that's that's where I think they've fallen off, in my opinion. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, again, it's getting back. Hey, we gotta be we got to be able to run. That's fine. You can run, but if I can just run it right up down your throat. I mean, that's what Georgia did to them in the second half of the title game. They just, just kept they – just, and they weren't able to run on them super great early. But they just kept at it. They kept at it. They kept at it. They wore Alabama down. And linebackers make a couple mistakes, and bam, there you go. uh, Despite what pro football focus tells you, you still build teams inside out. So I'll just put it there. Yes, so bad. So, 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 so bad. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Let's get back here. Uh, Jordan Schreiber, can you rank the receivers on the board with these new offers out? It's it's too early for that. I haven't I, I for me I haven't dove into Joshua Manning the way that I have other guys. I've watched him. I like him, but in mm-hmm. regards to comparing him to other guys, I'm not prepared to do that just yet. So my receiver board has not changed. Now I just have a a guy at the bottom with an asterisk that I got to then go grade <laughs> and plug. But you know he brings some intriguing skills. Ryan, we're talking about obviously Joshua Manning from uh, Lee Summit, Missouri, who was yep. Recently offered by Notre Dame. This is the typical we're back on the road and we discovered a kid type of prospect. Because he said to you in the interview, like, I just started talking to Notre Dame just now. Like, talk, <laughs> said, hi, here's an offer. Let's go. So very, very infancy. But he, he tell you what, he's, he can run, right? He can run. There's uh, no doubt about nah, that. Now nah, he can run. I mean, Manning's a long and he's listed at around six foot three, 190 pounds, and he is an absolute burner. And I think that he – both has a long stride length, but I also think he just has generally really good foot quickness. Uh, yeah, he, he can absolutely run. And then Cam Williams is a guy, is the other receiver that just was added to the board pretty recently. He's been a guy that's actually been to Notre Dame before. He's kind of a similar mold, though. He's a little bit longer. He's not quite as big as as Manning is. I think he's listed like 6'2", 175, somewhere in that ballpark. He's a little lanky right now, but he averaged nearly 20 yards a catch last year. So I think the things that you're seeing, the – consistency with Manning and the Williams offers recently is length foot speed. Like both those guys are kind of, they got a little burner to them. So very interesting players, both of them. John a one, who would be bet the better boundary receiver in 2022 with the coaching staff between chase with the current coaching staff 
between Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, Mo Stovall, Equinemi St. Brown, and Corey Robinson. I know who my pick would be on that. It's easy. Yeah, I, I mean, so, I mean, if you're just assuming the coaching is going to be a, a, a good right. commodity, I'm going mm-hmm. to pick who I, I think Chase Claypool is the most physically gifted player there. So that's why I was most take. physically gifted. He's number two on my list. Oh, okay. Most of all. Oh, uh, you love Maurice Stovall. I do. I, I, I like Maurice Stovall. Here, here's the, he was an elite blocker. He could do things after the catch. He had tremendous length. He actually was a better contested guy than Chase was in college. He was a oh, better sure. winning contested throws. And I think that's that is one of the top three needs for a guy in, at boundary. I actually really like Chase as a field guy because I think he can do things after the catch. I think he can, you know, he's he's a guy that can do different things. He can work in space. He wouldn't be my number one. He wouldn't be in my start. I mean, if we're going to go back to, let's just say from most of all on. So let's say from 05 on, and I could make up my, my ideal starting receiving core. I, I mean, it, it, the guy that I think the ideal W is not on this list, and it's Michael Floyd. I mean, that's that's my ideal W. There, there's not a better guy on this list, in my opinion, than Michael Floyd. It's just there's just not it's fair. No, there's not. Um, there's not right. Not. And, and so you know, I'd I'd put Mo next. But the thing about Chase is you don't have like my, with those out. You there's you know, Corey Robinson can't play anywhere else, in my opinion, or at least not as well. EQ maybe could play some X. I think he could play some X. Chase could play Z or X. He I mean he could play all over. But Michael Floyd's my boundary. And Will Full and Will Fuller's my X. I mean, those are no-brainers. We we can get into some other conversation. I mean, think about this receiving core. You got Will Fuller as your X, Michael Floyd as your W, and Golden Tate as your Z. Have fun trying to stop that with Michael oh, Mayer. Yeah. Go, Pick go a tight end. Tate. Michael Mayer, Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert. It doesn't matter. Pick a tight end. It doesn't matter. Golden Tate would be the easy one in the slot. Like, that, oh my I don't have to think about that one. <laughs> like, yes, Just kidding yes, me. Agree. <laughs> so agree. I'd, be, I'd be a sick receiving core, an absolutely sick receiving core. But yeah, Ty- of Ty- those Ty- options, most of all, yeah, of those options, yeah. most of all is my guy. If I can include everybody else from that era, there's no doubt that Michael Floyd is my guy. I mean, it's not even a debate for me. But of that group, yeah, and I do love most of all. I I, I so enjoyed watching him play. And I would have loved to have seen what he could have done with four years of good coaching. Yeah. You know, he, had, fun. he had he had a crazy catch radius, man. He had good oh, hands, gosh. too. I feel yeah. like nothing came out of his hands. It there was, was one time he made this sick catch against BYU. I think it was a touchdown. If you actually go back and look, it looked like he jumped way off the ground. But if you go, he didn't actually get off the ground that high. I'm like, man, he didn't, really didn't jump that high. He just had such insane reach. He just wasn't yeah. very fast. Because the strength program, maybe I shouldn't say good coaching, because I actually think the guy before Charlie, I think it was Trent West, might have been the receiver. He did a decent job of technique. The problem is the strength coach, the strength program sucked back then. Guys just got real stiff. Happened to Julius Jones. He got stiff. Uh, Most of all got stiff. A lot of those guys put on bad weight and got stiff. And uh, Mo was definitely one of those guys. Benjamin Carchi had a uh, one, part one, is had a thought. What do you think about having a trade deadline for the transfer portal? Players can enter the portal whenever they want, but coaches and schools can only reach out uh, during open time. Your thoughts? I, I, my initial reaction is I have I do not like the whole can enter whenever they want. I think the window should be open at certain times because I don't want kids jumping in the portal in the middle of the season. I think that's like I, I think that's terrible for kids. I think because at the end of the day, what's our number one priority here, Ryan? It should be about developing young people, helping kids. Yeah, that's what yeah. it should be about: developing young men. And young men in football, and it should be, you know, whatever in every other sport. It's about developing young people to be successful in life. 
And what are we teaching them? Anytime your boss treats you bad, you can just jump in a portal and be emotional. That's why I like the sit out rule. You, you don't have as much of that. You're forcing kids, hey, go deal with your problems. There's too much of that in our society where it's just like, ah, oh, you know, like, ah, oh, just quit. Oh, you can't, you, you're eventually going to run out of jobs to quit. Okay. You're, I'm sorry. And I think this is a terrible precedent. And I just, I don't, I don't like the idea of the portal being open at any time. I think it should open. I think it should open up a week after the conference championship games, maybe just the regular season, but I, I would open it after the conference championship games and give kids that window between the end of the regular season or the championship games and then the start of the fall semester. Give them a window during that period of time. And then the portal shut. Then it opens again on May 1st or, you know, you know, at the end of the school year. And then it's open, you know, you, kids have the summer to figure out where they want to go. It should be open during that period of time only. Because, again, you need to be smart about it. But I don't want kids jumping in a portal in the middle of October because you're pissed that your coach wasn't nice to you. You can't mm-hmm. go anywhere anyway. So what do you need to be in there for? Focus on school. Get your classes right. Keep pushing. You can learn through that. Adver- you, you can become a better man through that adversity of, of having to go to work every day with a coach you don't like. As long as the coach isn't like physically abusing you or putting you in a situation where he's trying to get you hurt, then you just walk, quit, right? And then go go talk to somebody and get that guy freaking fired, right? But kids don't need to be jumping into portal in the middle of the season. We, we need to get away from that nonsense. Open it up at the end of the season and then open it up again at the end of spring. So that way kids can, they don't have that crutch of, oh, I'm just going to go jump in a portal if you're, if you're you know, mean to me or you don't give me the reps I want. We're not, te- right. we're not teaching young people good things when we're doing crap like that. So I understand where the you're worst. coming from, Benjamin, but I just don't, I don't like that idea for me. Did you, what do you, did what you see, you? did you see before the FCS playoffs last year, the quarterback from Montana State, who was the starter all year, entered the portal like right before the playoffs it's just I, I there has to be some type of I don't want to call it a restriction, but there has to be some type of figuring out of as far as like what the timelines are and such, because that just, yeah. it, I mean, it just kills teams. Right. Like, and right. again, I don't want I don't want to stop a player from being able to to enter the portal. But I mean, if you're entering a, a, during the season, what what, what what's the bonus? Thing? Right. Like, what, what are you getting out of it? Right. What do we and what what example are we setting for these young people that, hey, you know what? As long. Here's the thing. As long as it's good for you, it doesn't matter how many people you screw over. That's a horrible life lesson, but that's exactly what the portal has become, Ryan. It doesn't matter what you're doing to other kids. People say, well, it's good for players. Well, it's good for that player. What about the kid who just worked his butt off for the last three years trying to earn that spot, and now they were able to just go out and buy a player from the portal, right? What about the kids who were depending on that guy to be there for the the next game kind of thing. Like off seasons is different. I've said this. Once the off season comes, it's it's you time. It's focused on you time, right? It's whether it's NFL draft, whether it's the portal, there's got to be a window where you can figure out what's best for you in your life. And that's that's okay cuz all of us have to make individual decisions at some point in time. But there's a right way and a wrong way. And like you said, a kid freaking jumping into the portal right before the the play, did he leave the team or did he at least stay with the team? I think he left the team. That's sure. just like, and, and I wouldn't want that guy. If I'm another team, I wouldn't want that guy. But you know what? There's going to be some scumbag coach out there who doesn't care about that. I wonder, you know? I wonder, and, if, that, I wonder if that kid yeah. ever landed anywhere. I so I, I'd, I'd want no part of that. No part of that. But yeah, I think there should be smaller windows for the portal, in my opinion. I absolutely, I don't think kids, they shouldn't be focusing on that stuff. That kid, that kid John A1 asked about, 
underrated Kid. college football coaches. We're going to talk about. I, I'm let's talk about that during our. our that's going to be something we're going to do soon. I think that'll be a lot of fun, Ryan. But I think that's a John. That's a question that that's such a good question that it needs to have its own show so we can do some prep work for it because that's a really deep question. Because I'm going to name some guys that I'll probably regret saying later, or I'll forget about some guys. So that's a great. Those are great questions, John, and we're going to use those as uh, topic starters for future shows. So uh, when we do those shows, we will lie and say that it was our idea and we came up with it because we're wicked smart and we'll give you no credit, John. But we're going to have those shows coming up here soon. Uh, no question. Golden Cab ND. This is going to be one. Here's a good one. Do you see? Foskey and Justin Adamiola being on the field more together this season during an obvious third down passing situation. Yes, definitely. They were actually on the field a lot together last year on third down, like almost always on third down last year. We're going to see them a ton. I think what we're going to see less of this year is last year it seemed like there was a lot of snaps, Ryan, where one of them was dropping and one of them was rushing. I think we're going to see more of them both rushing this year. I think we're going to see more four-man pressures this year than we saw last year in those third down situations. Yeah, I think I think it's a, lo- a little bit of a disservice if you don't get them on the field on th- mm-hmm. obvious passing situations, right? Like that's to your most well, your your most a- a- talented pass rusher, and then your most refined pass rusher. You need to get both those guys on the field. Mm-hmm. John A. One asks, "How would Brady Quinn fare in today's Notre Dame offense?" <sighs> I I think he'd be pretty good. I don't know if he would be uh, – this is going to sound weird because he's my favorite quarterback. Him and Tony Rice are my two favorite quarterbacks. But I don't know if he would fare quite as well in this offense. And here's why I say that. Brady had a bit of a long release. And he wasn't like super, super great at getting the ball out real fast. He could, you know, but not real fast. And Brady wasn't the most accurate guy. Like his his accuracy gets gets criticized too much in some circles, in my opinion. Like they make it seem like he was – you know, like just couldn't hit the broadside of barn, which is insane. He completed over 60% of his passes two years in a row and completing 60% of your passes was not an easy thing to do. But I, I don't, I don't know if he would have been quite as good now as he was then. But then my counter to that is, but there'd be a lot more easier throws that he'd be able to make. So that'd be a counter to it. Uh, so I, you know, John, my initial gut reaction is I think he was playing in the perfect offense for him under Charlie. I do. I, you know, I, and I don't know if this offense would be as great for him, but you know, that's, I could be wrong. What, what's your, what's your thoughts on that, Ryan? Well, no, I mean, he was a, so when you say that you, you mean that like the a, more of a vertical base system, push yeah. the ball down. And I'm the talking field, statistically, I'm talking right. statistically, like he threw right. for 3,900 yards and 39 touchdowns one year or, or 37 touchdowns one year. I mean, it was, it was, he, he put up monster numbers. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, yeah, that's more I'm referring to. And yeah, I think he was a guy that was back shoulder fake. I mean, think about how many Brady Quinn. I would be curious to kind of go through the 05 season and say how many of his throws were either look screens or back shoulder throws, like fades. It's a lot. Yeah. That was a lot. lot. And that's just not something they do a lot in this offense. Now, maybe that's because they don't have most Stovall and Jeff Samarsha. But even when they had Boykin and Claypool, they didn't do that stuff a ton. They should have done it more, in my opinion. They didn't oh, do yeah. that stuff a ton. I would I would have thrown look screens out, out to Claypool mm-hmm. all day, man. Until and they stop shoulders all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they did that against Stanford and Stanford in in eighteen, and Stanford couldn't stop it. I mean, they just had no answers for Miles Boykin in that game. 
John A1 asks, do you think Notre Dame could be effect, an effective 22 personnel package and go tempo? I'll let you take that one there, Ryan. So 20, 22. It's two backs, two tight ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, sure, but I, I mean, I don't think it's the best option to go, John, if you're if you're really trying to harp tempo. Like, it just – because you're condensing everything a little bit too much for my liking, right? Like, I think that you can be creative with the running back usage in, in a two-back set, obviously, but I, I just I, – I off the top of my head, like, i just not a big fan of that thought process, personally. I think it's something they could do as a change-up, like in a game. You know, just kind of come out and, you know, go too tight and, you know, put Mayer out wide and – put your other receiver out wide and put Chris Tyree or Jadarian Price in the slot as just something to could keep the team up. Maybe you run a couple of jet suites off of that just to try to catch them. You know, I think I, I always look for stuff like that, John, in, in a, in a wrinkle that we're hoping that they don't catch on to it. And on the third, we're setting the first two plays are setting up for the shot. We're going to take on the third play. I think it'd be something like that, but as like a, as a staple, as in like a, a, this is a personnel grouping we use on a week to week basis. I think it has some limitations. Once teams get some film on it, it would have some limitations in my opinion. And and so uh, wrinkle, yes, overall, no. Here's an interesting question that I'm not sure I'm going to feel super comfortable answering. John A1 asks, would you rather have Phil Jerkovic or Tyler Buckner going into 2022? I mean, from a – so it's it's not in a vacuum, right? Because Phil Jerkovic is who they are now. Right. Yeah, is a fifth-year senior, and Tyler Buckner is going to be a sophomore. So I guess in that in this world that John is making for us, I guess I would go with Phil Dracovic just because he's played a lot of football at this point, right? Like he's kind of been there mm-hmm. and done that to a high degree. So I, I guess I would defer to that, but I'm comfortable with Tyler. Like I'm just comfortable with having Tyler. But I guess I would go with Phil just, just for the experience factor, honestly. I don't think there's – not a gap. There's not really a gap in talent. They're different players, but they're both mm-hmm. extremely talented in their own mold. So I don't think right. if there's a talent discrepancy that might push it towards Tyler, but the fact that Phil is also very talented and has experience, that would be right. where I would probably go there. I had Tyler height ranked higher as a junior. Phil was ranked higher after senior year. Phil was phenomenal senior and Tyler didn't get a play as a senior. If this was a scenario in which Phil never left, it'd be Phil easily. If it's a scenario where Phil comes back for his fifth year at Notre Dame, no. And that's coming from someone who loves Phil Dracovic. But look, he left. I love Phil. I wish he wouldn't have left. I think he's going to be a great player for BC this year. And and that's a great – I mean, I, this is not a shot at Phil. It's just that – but he left. Were the circumstances unfortunate? Were they his fault? No. And I, and I got – Phil was not to blame for him leaving. But again, he left. And Tyler's here. And that's how I always feel like, give me the kid that's at Notre Dame. And, and I always, would you trade this Notre Dame player for that guy? No, because that Notre Dame player wanted to be here. That guy didn't, right? But if Phil never left, and you're going to ask me who I'd want to start a cornerback, it's Phil. It's a no-brainer. He's a fifth-year senior who's incredibly talented. Tyler Buckner's a redshirt, a sophomore who's incredibly talented. Right, so give me the fifth-year incredibly talented guy over the sophomore incredibly talented guy. That would be my answer. But honestly, if Phil never would have left, and they would, I'll say this: I put this on the message board the other day. I think this is a question I asked. Imagine if they would have done what they should have done in nineteen, 
And after the Virginia Tech game, benched Ian Book and put Phil Dracovic in the game. And he starts the last five games of 19. He starts 20, and he starts 21. The reality is, is barring injury, Phil's not even here, and it doesn't matter. That's my stance. So um, it would have been Tyler. You would have had both. You'd had Phil would have groomed Tyler, and I think they would have got along. Per, I think that would have, I think that would have worked out really well. So John's asking some tough ones today. I feel like I get like the sense sometimes like John gets like takes the day off before the mailbag and like comes up with these like really good questions, and he's just like ready for us when we show up. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. Here's a draft question from Jason Burkhart. Draft question: How surprised were you that Sam Howe went as late as he did? And could he have done anything to help himself, like transferring to another school for his final year? It's a good one. I, I was I was surprised that he went that late. I mean, he didn't go to the fifth round. I thought he was definitely a day two kid at worst, right? And I mean, I graded him out as a, a late two. So I think that the Washington Commanders, I'm say Washington football team, got tremendous value in the fifth round, like no doubt about it. I, I like Sam. I I, th- I don't think that the tools are fantastic, but I think he's a great deep ball thrower. I think he's a really tough kid, good enough athlete. He's, he, I think there's a good baseline for him as a football player. What could he have done, Jason? It, it was tough, man. He got put into a situation where Joshua Downs is a really good football player. Ty Chandler was a solid running back for them. But when you lose Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, Javante Williams, and Michael Carter one offseason, when you're a North Carolina, you're like, you're not in Alabama, right? Like you're in North Carolina. That was obviously a, a big factor in, I think, the regression. And Honestly, I think that Sam also pressed a little bit too hard yeah. at times, right? Like, I think he tried to do a little bit too much. And I think they and put too much on his shoulders this year as a, as sure. a coaching staff as well. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that, you know, you, you saw it at times. And I think there were some points where if you just kind of take what you see a little bit more and not hold on to the ball a little too long and, and put yourself in bad, worse situations, I, I think that there could have been some help to your draft stock a little bit. But as for transferring, I I, I, don't, I mean, maybe. It depends what the situation is, right? Like if he's dumped into a good situation that he trusts. But quarterbacks are kind of a, a victim of of the trust that of the players that are around him, right? Joshua Downs is a fantastic player. I, I, mm-hmm. I would take him on Notre Dame in a split second. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, is that, you know, through times last year, Sam Howell had only been playing with Joshua Downs a very small amount of time. So the trust right. wasn't always there on, on the full spectrum. So it's just unfortunate. I think Sam, though, will – I think he'll outplay the fifth round selection. Like that was a, a big, big value in that draft. That, and that opinion. was a, the one of the best spots to go to. From what I know of Scott Turner's offense, I think he fits it well. I think there's way less pressure on him now that he's a fifth round pick and he's the starting quarterback on that team. I mean, Taylor Heineke is the backup quarterback. I'm sorry, Sam Howell's better than Taylor Heineke. And the oh, starting yeah. quarterback is Carson Wentz, who will get hurt at some point in time the next year, or, or or his or his ego will get fractured again, and then sure, that'll be over. Right. His confidence, right. whatever you want to call it, you yeah. know. So I think it was a great thing. I think Sam's thing is, I think, I think it was put a lot of pressure on him. I thought they, this was a bad coaching job by North Carolina staff. I thought the offensive line regressed. They had some injuries, you know. The uh, what's the kid's name? The other receiver that played for a minute and got hurt. Corrales. Yes, Bo Corrales. It's it's Bo, right? Uh, And then Cox Brown didn't do anything for that. Like, there's just a lot that went wrong this year that hurt him. That hurt Sam. I I like him. He was. He's my favorite. I'm not saying he's the best. He's my favorite quarterback in the draft class. I just think the kid's a winner. I think the kid was held back by the the 
what was around him this year. And I think he pressed. I think he put too much on his shoulders to win, but he had to, because if he didn't go, I mean, he's the only reason that Notre Dame game was competitive. If it wasn't for Sam Howe, like doing Superman stuff, that game's a 30 point loss for North Carolina. Same with pit game. I mean, he made some plays in that pit game in the rain. You're like, this kid is a warrior. And he's like all by himself, you know? And, and uh, yes, I love Josh Downs, but also Josh Downs kind of player that, you know, he's got to get going. I mean, he's got, he's a speed guy. He's got to run deep routes and vertical routes. He's not a guy that you can just throw a back shoulder to because you're getting pressured because your offensive line stinks. I think that hurts him too. Where last year with De'Ami Brown, he could hit the top of his drop, just let one go and let De'Ami run under it. De'Ami had a little bit of size to him. You know, he's a good, you know, one-on-one pass catcher. And he wasn't a great player. Sam, I thought made him look better, but you know, he throws a phenomenal deep ball. He's a good kid. He's a winner. I think he got convinced that he needed to leave early, and I don't think he should have, in my opinion. I I, I don't necessarily believe that he was a, a no-brainer, one-and-done type of guy, you know, or three-and-done type of guy. He was a true junior. I think it was a mistake for him to come out right now, and I never understood why it was an automatic that he's going to leave. He's a true junior. He needed he could have used more time, especially after the year he had, and North Carolina is probably going to have a pretty decent team around him this year, but – I also understand a lot of people left, and he could to the second part of the question. He could have left, and I'll tell you this right now: if 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 Tyler Buckner wasn't at Notre Dame, I'd take Sam Howell in a heartbeat because I think Tommy Reese would be really good for Sam Howell because Tommy's offense would force Sam to 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 do more reading pre post snap. He'd be working in a more NFL style system compared to an air raid. I thought it'd be great. For him. <laughs> so if if Tyler Buckner, let's say Tyler got hurt at the end of the season and he was going to be out for the year. And, and Sam Howe wanted to come to their name. Oh, absolutely. I'd sign me up, right? And, and I think it would have been good for Sam too. But I, I don't know if I necessarily – here's the thing. Knowing Sam and from everything I've heard about Sam, I don't think going somewhere else would have been an option for him. And this is a kid that's played a bowl game. And he was like, I can't not play my – could you see that kid all of a sudden just leaving his team to go play for somewhere else because that was better for him? I think it was either NFL or go back to North Carolina. And I don't think going back to North Carolina was a super attractive proposition for him for a number of reasons. Yeah. And if you think about all the talent they lost over a two year stretch, 3000 yard running backs, the only two good linemen he had, you know what I mean? Like, did he have know, two? I thought it was well, yeah, the only two good he had. Right. Cause the other yes. kid got drafted. The giants, like the giants drafted two linemen from North Carolina and I, after the first, I told my, my buddy, I said, look, man, I like this kid. It was a good pick. I know their line sucked, but you move this kid into guard. Yeah. He's going to be a really good player, et cetera, et cetera. And then they picked second. I was like, dude, I got nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, Marcus, Marcus McKee. I got nothing for you, man. Like, you picked two guys yeah. from North Carolina's offensive line. I, uh, I'm i sorry, buddy. I got nothing. I got nothing to make you feel better about that one. Michael Gardner, if you were game planning against Ohio State on defense, would you run more zone or man in order to slow down their passing attack? Both. You got to mix it up. (laughs) Look, here's the key, right? And and we'll we'll get into more stuff this summer. We're still several months away from the game, right? Still a little less than four months away from the game. So it's a little early to dive too much into that. There's a lot of film I want to watch. But here, here, what I know of Ohio State and Notre Dame, here's the key, right? You have got to do whatever you can, pressure-wise, coverage-wise, mix-up-wise, all that stuff, to not let C.J. Stroud get comfortable. You can't. You got to make him think he's seeing one thing and show him something different. And sometimes you make them see one thing and it, it is that thing. Because then if you confuse them enough, then he's going to, oh, they showed this and then they rolled to this. So I'm thinking it's this, but no, it is that. And then he throws it to a guy that he doesn't think is going to be there, right? You've got to get them out of sync. And if you are if you just come out and play man the whole game, they will shred you. 
if you just come out and play zone the whole game, they will shred you. You have to mix it up, and, and, and that's the key. And there's got to be things you do to take away the quick game that allow you to get to the quarterback, right? That's the key because that's where I think Notre Dame has a big advantage. I'm, I watched the Rose Bowl again last night, Ryan. I'm like, this is the heavy footed, heavy footed group of tackles I've seen in, in Power Five. I mean, those guys, like, I'm watching Dewan Jones, and I'm like, there's no way that guy's going to be able to block Justin Adamiola, much less Isaiah Foskey yeah. with his pass sets. I'm like, this is terrible. Now, he's yep. like huge. You got to run around him. But I'm like, man, it's just like, and I, I forgot how depleted that Utah defense was. Mm-hmm. I forgot about it. They, they had their running back playing corner yeah. during that game. Do you remember that? Like, yeah. I forgot about that. Did Devin, Clark, Devin, did Devin Lloyd play that game? He did. He, Him and Clark Phillips play both played. But like their whole, their secondary was desperate. They had COVID. Guys with COVID, guys out because of contact tracing, guys with injuries. Like their defense was decimated, and then eventually Ohio State figured it out because there's only so much they could do. And uh, you got to be able to mix it up. That's a good question, Michael. And we'll we'll get more into that as we get you know into the summer. But you've you've got to do you got you just can't do one thing. There's not a defense in college football that's good enough to just line up and do what you do and stop Ohio State. There there isn't one, and you got to mix it up. You want to hear? You want to hear a weird little tidbit, Brian? Before yeah, we move on, of course. You know, you just mentioned Clark Phillips. I'm actually wearing a Clark Phillips uh, sweatshirt right now. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> you know, he could have. He was. Uh, he liked Notre Dame a lot, but Clark Lee. Uh, Clark Lee didn't oh, think he was long small. enough. Yeah. Ugh. So. Ugh. Yep. Yep. He's uh, so. He, now he's have old, you ever seen he's... Clark Phillips? Yeah. Nah, man. He's yeah. Does I've he not Clark look Phillips. like Sean Sean Crawford's little brother? Like in the face, a little bit, a little bit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I was like, "Hey, yeah. what's Sean Crawford?" Like when he was on a visit, I was like, "Women is it was for a spring practice," and I was like, "Why is Sean Crawford standing on the sidelines talking to?" I was like, "Oh, that's not Sean Crawford. That's that's Clark Phillips." And they look very, very similar. Very, very similar. I yeah. still that's one regret. Um, I I would have loved to see what Sean Crawford could have done before the injuries. He was right. so good in high school. He was so he explosive te- athletic. He still tested really well at his pro yes. day, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Which is yeah. insane when you consider he tore he tore his Achilles, he tore his ACL, I think twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like remember that game where his like elbow went like went the wrong direction? Like, well, his career's over, and he was like back in two weeks. That is one <laughs> tough little kid. Like that kid that was sick. a freaking warrior. I mean, I, I don't like using that phrase a lot for football players, but that kid fits it. I, I could not I believe mean, when he came back for that last year, man. I was like, wow, this dude, he loves football, man. <laughs> he, he loves, loves football. It. And he did. Yeah. And that's the thing that that's because if you ever met Sean, he's a great kid. Oh, and if you see the interviews he's doing, like when he's going to different, I mean, he's a phenomenal young man. It's just he had terrible luck. But there are, to, to, that's how good he was that he could have corners are not DBs, especially five, nine DBs are not supposed to be able to suffer three season ending lower body injuries and still be decent, like serviceable players. And he was, you know, I mean, he was limited to bear, compared to what he was, but he could still play at Notre Dame. And it just says what, I mean, think about what he could have been without, just take two of them away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let him have the ACL as a freshman, but that's it. He'd have been so good. He was really good against Texas that year. If you go back and watch, I mean, he had two picks, but he was good in coverage and, He's a really good player. Irish fan 15 says, hey, hey, IB, how would you guys compare Dante Moore and Tyler Buckner as juniors in high school? I mean, I, I, 
I mean, just looking at them again, they're just completely different players, right? Like mm-hmm. Tyler Buckner is just a dynamic, dynamic dude from the quarterback position as an athlete. And I think that Dante Moore is a good athlete, but he's not the same type of guy. Like you're not going to run mm-hmm. power read. You're not going to run quarterback counters, like quarterback sweeps. You're not going to do all that stuff like you can with Tyler Buckner. But I will say that Dante Moore is, even though I thought I thought Tyler was like pretty far along from a technical perspective as far mm-hmm. as like you know going through reads and stuff, but Dante's just he's a he's yeah. a different cat in that regard. Like he's one of the yeah. best like processors I've ever seen of a junior. So I think Tyler has better upside as far as a, a dual threat option. Dante is a little bit stronger of an arm and just a little bit of a more natural thrower, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that's where that experience part comes from. You know, Tyler missing. What would Tyler have been like if he didn't miss his whole junior sophomore season? Right. I mean, those are things that you look at. But Don, they're they're very so like they're both really smart players, like anticipation and all that. But I think Don, I think Dante's the more natural passer for sure. Tyler's a far more dynamic runner. They're very comparable uh, as far as impact players. I had them both as five stars as juniors. And so there's not a huge difference. Tyler went down from away from a five-star because he didn't play as a senior. And partly because of that crazy camp performance he had where like his throwing motion was all jacked up. Like I, that was weird to me, but the, you know, Dante's the better prospect just because like, as far as a, a pure quarterback and it's, you know, he, he's as good of a, uh, he's got as good of a mind for the game as I've seen. Like I talked about Bryce Young the other day, the, the closest thing I've seen to it is, is Dante Moore in my opinion, you know, now, the difference is is between Bryce and Dante, and the reason I would I would say Bryce was ahead of Dante at the same age, is because Bryce also was allowed to attack down the field a lot more, and Dante isn't allowed to do that. Like if they would open up that offense a little bit, I think you'd see Dante even take another step in regards to that. And then I understand why they do it, all that, but I would like to see them let turn him loose down the field even more because I think that's because when they do do it, you can see his mind working quickly. Like he's a really smart, instinctive kid. And and that's why I think, you know, the comp to him, that's why Bryce Young is the good comp for him. I just think Dante is a little bit more physically gifted, uh, in my opinion. But Tyler Buckner's no slouch, and they're different players. So that's why it's, it's kind of funny. People are like, well, when Dante shows up, you know, Tyler better watch out. I'm like, well, okay, maybe, right? But, you know, Tyler Buckner's a pretty darn good football player. You know what I mean? Like, he put up he put up monster numbers as a junior in high school. He He was a – he was a special player. It's a good question. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, that I, I curious to what you think about this. It's free for all Friday, which means they can ask whatever they want. Corey D asked better movie, Shawshank Redemption or Schindler's list. Shawshank Schindler's list opinion. for me. I didn't like Shawshank really? Redemption. No, really? I, Why? I, I just now I, I Morgan Freeman did a great job in that movie and the rest of it. I just, I'm, first of all, I'm not a huge Tim Robbins fan, although he's been in a couple of my you know really good movies. I, I really liked him in Nothing to Lose. I don't know if you've ever seen that with Martin Lawrence. It's pretty good. And then, of course, he was in Bull Durham. But I'm not a huge fan of him. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't, just, it was creepy to me. Uh, oh, Schindler's List, I think, part of it, too, is Schindler's List is, I mean, it's based on a true story. And and as a student of history, I I, I know what, what that was like, you know, like what that period was like and what it meant and all that. And the true story is actually more fascinating than the movie was in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't really like Shawshank to be honest with you. I, I know I'm like in the minority there and that's a bad there's a couple take. people like hit that unfollow button, but I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it's it. A bad, that's a bad take. It's a bad yeah, take. Everybody's entitled to their opinions. Uh, they call me gravy. What is your favorite game from each era that you watched? Mine is a toss up between Clemson regular season 2020 and Virginia 2015. I am too young to remember the feeling involved in the Weiss area. He's real young. 
Um, favorite game of the different eras. So I'm going to go with the Lou Holtz era. My favorite game was 93 Florida State of the Holtz era. Miami is a close second. West Virginia would be third because that was the title game. But that Florida State game was a great game. And I was a little older. I could appreciate it more. It's 15 compared to 10. Favorite game of the tie era was beating Michigan in 98. That was that was that was my favorite game of the tie era. Uh, I'm passing the Bob Davy era on purpose. Uh, favorite win of the Charlie era. Boy, that's a good. It'd be Michigan State 2006. The comeback in the in the rain at Michigan State. That's probably my favorite my favorite game of the Charlie Weiss era. What would what would yours be? Do are you do you have a, a recollection of that? Yeah, I remember Charlie. It was it was a nice two year run there. I don't know if there's a game though that really stands out. Yeah. Because they were going like know. 38-17 to Michigan State on the road. I, I don't remember and, that one that well. Yeah. Who's, who's yeah. the quarterback for Michigan State? Was oh, it, Drew Stanton, I think. Was it still Drew Stanton? I, I remember Stanton so. beat Stanton definitely beat them once. Yeah. Let me let me look that up. But yeah. I, I thought it was Drew Stanton. But yeah, they were up 38-17 over Notre Dame. And they had gotten a big lead over Notre Dame uh, the previous year. Notre Dame came back took it overtime and then lost to Michigan state. So it's kind of nice to kind of get a little bit of payback, but I, I could be wrong, but yeah, they were, they were down 24, seven in the second quarter. Notre Dame scored. Then they went up, they were down 31, 14 at halftime. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They were down 37 to 21. And then Brady hit Samarja. It was like a slant. Samarja caught it, cut back out for a touchdown. Then he hit a beautifully placed back shoulder throw to Raymond McKnight for a touchdown. It took Raymond for two touchdowns. And then, yeah, Drew Stanton got picked off by Terrell Lambert with 253 left, ran it back for touch. That's the one where, where John L. Smith is, like, running, and then he has, like, this, like, stops, and he's got, like, this sad, like, lost look on his face, which is, like, kind of sums up John L. Smith's coaching career. Um, yeah, and they won 40 to 37. Yeah, they're, they're down 37-21 and hit John Carlson up the seam for a touchdown. That was a great game. Great. I mean, Brady made tons of plays that game. Raymond made a couple great catches. Samarja made that great play at the end. That was a that was a fun game. That was a really fun I, game. I I, I kind of liked um, Drew Stanton, by the way. I don't know if you ever talked about yeah. that, but I, I liked him as a player. He was not good that game. He went ten no. of twenty two for one hundred fourteen yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. Uh, they ran for a whole lot. Here's a name from the past: uh, Jehu Coldcrick was the oh, Cold rush for one hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a good player. And then Javon Ringer was on that team too. They ran it was, but it was like pouring down rain the whole second half. It was like pouring down rain. So that's the other thing yeah. that's miraculous about the Notre Dame comeback is Brady's doing all this in pouring down rain. <laughs> it, you should go watch, like if you get some time tonight, like pop that game in. It was a, it would go to the second half. How about that? Start in the second half. <laughs> It'll be make Man, you feel he, a little bit better. Cole Crick was one of the best uh, oversized running backs behind yeah. Javorski Lane from Texas A&M, yeah. though. But yeah, get eight carries for 111 yards that game. Cole Crick did. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Eight, eight, eight carries for 111 yards. I might have said catches. I meant carries. Eight, ca- eight carries for. Yeah. Matt Trannon threw a touchdown pass in that game. Huh. Yeah. I do you have to go back and watch it. You were young. Yeah. 2006. It was at Michigan State. You should go back and watch it. It was a, it was a classic. And then, uh, actually, we we'll finished finish this one. Um, favorite, favorite game. So let's go with BK. Let's go pre 2016 and then post 2016. Pre twenty six, mm. post twenty sixteen is easy. It's USC two thousand seventeen. Yeah, that absolute yeah. curb stomping of a highly ranked USC team was a lot of fun. Yeah, the pre pre twenty pre twenty fifth pre twenty sixteen. 
I'd probably have – there's a couple, but I'd probably have to go Stanford 2012 and then Oklahoma 2012 or my t- kind of tied. Because Stanford was like – Stanford had just been killing Notre Dame for like four years in a row coming into that game. That was a really good Stanford team. And Notre Dame had a lot of adversity to that game. You know, Everett gets knocked out, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, it was a it was a it was a weird game. And then of course Oklahoma was 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 great because you know you go on the road. It's it's in Oklahoma, and it just was kind of like yeah, Notre Dame's back moment, you know. And uh-huh. uh, those are those are that's probably my my two favorite pre twenty. Anytime you beat Miami, it's fun. So you could look at the you know the Sun Bowl in two thousand eleven, the curb stomping of Miami in twenty twelve, uh, beating them in twenty sixteen. But you know none of those teams are really that good, so. Doesn't mean a whole lot. Stanford and Oklahoma that year were really, really good. Stanford 2012. That was the one where uh, Stephon Taylor got stopped near the goal line, right? Is that yeah, the one? Overtime. Yeah, overtime. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy came game. in. That was a great. Do a touchdown pass to TJ Jones in overtime to win it. Yeah. It was so, a great game. Yeah. I remember that. And, one. and they were they ended up fifth that year. I mean, that was a really good Stanford team. Really good Stanford team. Uh post. 2016, Ryan. Did you agree with me on the USC 2017 game? Yeah, it'd be USC or it'd be Cle- when they beat Clemson with DJ. I guess that would be a clo- a, like a number two probably for me. That game well. always. I, I've never loved that game. It was a great win, but a you beat them with the backup quarterback. And I don't know. Like I know there were students there, but it just a college football game just uh, isn't the same without fans in the state. I'm sorry, it's just not. It's it just. It's just not. And, and NBC actually did their best to try to pump in some sound. You know what I mean? Like it sounded mm-hmm. like they were pumping in some sound, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. So it just took some of that. That's the thing I loved about the 93 and the 88 games over Miami and Florida, Florida State and then Miami is, and the crowd was such a big part of that game. Back right. then you could get flagged for the crowd being too loud. Like they would warn you to be quiet when you're, when the other team was on offense. And if you didn't, you'd get flagged. It was crazy. It was crazy. John Leahy, I heard on another podcast that Notre Dame is over the 85 scholarship limit with the transfers arriving. Is this true? And what will Notre Dame do? It is true. Uh, don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you'll have somebody on medical or someone else transfer. See, guys can still transfer. They just can't sit out. And and the other option is, worst case scenario, is they take a walk-on scholarship away. Because sco- walk-ons are kind of only guaranteed through that school year. They're not guaranteed scholarships for next year. So that's the other thing they could do. So it's not a not an ideal situation at all. So yes, that is accurate. Irishman 7114, I think this D-line group gets a boost because this is going back to the the, the 2023 class if they get Jason Moore and Devin Houston. Mm-hmm. I think this D-line group gets a boost because Michigan really wanted all of them, <laughs> thought they were going to get some of them. That and positional flexibility take it up a notch for me. Agree. Agree. I mean, yeah. hey, hey, anytime you beat Michigan for anything, I'm happy about it, right? So, yes. Well, and, and practically speaking, Ryan, I mean, there's the fan part of us that both loves kicking Michigan in the teeth. But the other part of it, too, is, is like you're beating – you're kicking Michigan's butt for a year after they just had two All-American edge players. Right. They've had how many – I mean, Notre Dame hasn't had a first-round defensive line or defensive end taken since 1998. Michigan's had three or two in the last however many years and would have had a third if David Ajabo doesn't tear his knee up. Where did he end up going? Was he second round? Second round to the uh, Baltimore Ravens. He's a first-round pick if he doesn't get hurt. Do you agree with that? Top top 20 pick if he doesn't get hurt, yeah. Right, and and Notre Dame hasn't produced a guy like that in 20 years. You know know what I mean? So, like, over 20 years. And and so 
with all that being true, coming off a playoff team, kicked Ohio State's butt last year, won the Big Ten, all that, and Notre Dame is still kicking the absolute crap out of them on the recruiting trail. I think that that isn't just a, as a fan. It's what we've said is they have to become the premier team in the Midwest first, and they're not. You just you're leaving Michigan in the rear view, even with a playoff appearance. You're leaving Penn State is is they can't even see your backside anymore. It's now okay, Ohio State. Focus on Ohio State now. But that's important because Michigan had a chance this past year to gain ground on Notre Dame between beating them in 19 and then the playoff run. Michigan had a chance to gain ground on Notre Dame, Ryan. And the fact that Notre Dame is kicking the mess out of them on the recruiting trail right now negates that. Now, a lot of that's Harbaugh's fault. How he handled this offseason has just been just one of the worst, like borderline fireball offense to me. Like you just ruined our entire offseason because because of the way you handled this whole thing. Like it was bad. I don't I don't it's not getting talked about enough in my opinion how bad he botched this offseason for Michigan. A team that just went to the playoff with that name recognition should not be recruiting this poorly in my opinion. I don't know what you think about that, Ryan. No, nah, it, it's it's I mean like you said it's a fireable offense. It's there's no there's no excuse for it. I mean to be very honest and yeah, no, nah, I, I, especially because I mean, what 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 recruit in this cycle can you look at and say? Because, like you said, Midwest powers supposedly, right? Michigan versus Notre Dame, it's a historic thing. What prospect or recruit in this class in twenty twenty three is Michigan going to beat out Notre Dame for that Notre Dame wants? Is there any? Is there any? I can't think of a single one. Mm-mm. No, there, there's the closest that they were going to have. I'm actually going to look up their current class. The closest they were going to have, they thought was going to be Devin Houston. Right. Right. And, you know, we'll find out tomorrow how that goes. But right now, uh, I wouldn't project that. We talked about that before you got on the show, Ryan, is, you know, Notre Dame is, has done a great job and put themselves in position as the team to beat. Yep. I'm looking at the list now. Samaj Morgan, nope. Cole Cabanas, Cabana, no. Benjamin Hall, no. Raylan Wilson, Notre Dame offered him but never recruited him. And then Brooks Barr. I mean, the only reason Notre Dame recruited him was because Mike Elson recruited him. And once Mike right. Elson left, Notre Dame stopped recruiting him. And he signed with Mike with Mike Elson at, at Michigan. So and he have, was never even he was never even offered by Notre Dame. No, Brooks Barr. No, because yeah. Mike Elson's the only one that wanted him. He's a nice player, but Notre Dame had their height sights set on better prospects. You know, so you've looked at guys that 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 you know in the Notre Dame class, there's there's been a lot of guys that Michigan wanted and ended up not having a chance with, right? I mean, so they wanted Bubakar Traore, right? They they tried to get on Brendan Vernon, had no chance. They thought they were gonna get Preston Center, right? And then mm-hmm. they, then after it was going to Notre Dame, it was like, well, no, no, we really didn't want him anyway. <laughs> they tried to recruit Drake Bowen. They tried to they they thought they had a shot with Sam Pendleton right until the moment Notre Dame got involved. And, you know, I'm looking at this now. I think they offered a Don Shula. They tried to get in with Peyton Bowen because they thought that there's still Michigan reporters that say that they have a chance to flip Peyton Bowen from Michigan, from Notre Dame, which is just patently stupid. That's I'm not saying Peyton's guaranteed to go to Notre Dame, but if he doesn't go to Notre Dame, he's not going to Michigan. He's going to like right? Oklahoma or something. Yeah, yeah and, and exactly. I don't see anybody on the list now. Dante Moore, no. Mm-hmm. They, they tried to get Jay Lamar. They wanted him, and that's, that's not working out for him. And they've kind of gone in a different direction now. Ronan Hannafin, they wanted. I don't know if they've offered Great House or not. Brent, 
Brandon said in the chat that Michigan fans apparently think that they're getting Jalen Brown from Florida. That's that's what he said. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, that'd be a great pickup for him, though. I mean, oh, that'd be a great sure. pickup for him for sure. Uh, and, and I would consider that beating Notre Dame because part of the reason Notre Dame backed off of him because he just didn't seem that interested in Notre Dame. So uh, if he picks Michigan, that that'd be a good win for him. But you know, I, I honestly can't think of anybody else that that they have a shot at other than Devin Houston. I, I really can't. I can't think of any DBs. I can't think of any of the linebackers on the board. I I really can't. I mean, Sam, Samuel and Pemba visited there, and I think he liked it, but I don't see him picking Michigan. But maybe that's another opportunity. But I, I really can't think of a single kid that Michigan and Notre Dame like, – Charles Jagasaw would be one. That would be the one guy that I could see them potentially beating Notre Dame for. I said this – we talked about this before the show, Ryan. I was asked to give my opinion on on several recruits. But I said, you know, I'm right now I'm a, I'm a seven for Charles Jagasaw. Mm-hmm. I think Michigan is – I was at a nine a month ago. I think Michigan's mm-hmm. made enough of a of a run at him that like I still feel Notre Dame's going to get him, but they've put themselves in the mix. I think I think that'd be the only guy that I think Notre Dame wants and is after that Michigan might have a chance of beating them for. What are your, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, the Jalen Brown thing. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing about that a little bit internally. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you for putting it in there, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Jagasaw is one of those that we've talked about this a ton. Teams that have a clear favorite – or, sorry, players that have a clear favorite program and don't pull the trigger – trigger? But don't pull the trigger. <laughs> I don't you know have a stroke over there, man. Like, uh, do I need to like call 911 and send them to your house? It felt like it, man. I don't know what happened right there. But <laughs> players that that have a clear favorite and don't pull the trigger, that leaves you uneasy because there's mm-hmm. – there's leaves opportunity – Right. And mm-hmm. that makes you unsettled. So, yes, I, right. I think that that's a player that I would like that one to be over sometime soon. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Right. right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Let's get down to Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Thank you for the super chat. Very, very much. Weird question, but what Notre Dame coach won a natty would be considered overrated? Thanks, guys, for the hard work. Have a good weekend, IB family. Well, listen, here's here's what I'll tell you. Uh, I only – I was alive. I was not alive. I was alive during the Dan Devine era. I was a baby, but I was not alive when he won a title. He, was, he won a title the year before I was born. So I can't possibly say that Dan Devine was overrated. I will relay conversations I've had with Lou Samoji about him that a lot of people feel he won based off of the players that he inherited from uh, Era Parsegian. 
right? And there was a lot of guys on that 77 title team, like, like Ross Browner and some of those guys that were recruited by era and, and that they weren't, that he didn't, he did he should have won more based on what the talent he inherited is what people will say. So from folks I know that were older and follow the team back then, they would tell you Dan Devine. I don't think there's, I don't think no one is going to tell you Newt Rockney's overrated. No one's going to tell you Frank Leahy's overrated. Lou Samoji would say that the fact that Era Parsegian went 500 at Northwestern at that time was one of the best coaching jobs in college football. You know, um, I'd be like, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like the worst. I'd be like taking over. I'm trying to think like Rutgers right now in the Big Ten and going to bowl games, you know, like all, all the time. It's like it's it, they were bad. It's what Lou says. And then he comes to Notre Dame. He was a great coach in Notre Dame. Lou Holtz was, was not overrated at all because Lou had success other places. I mean, right. he won an Orange Bowl at Arkansas. He had some good years with NC State. I mean, took Minnesota to a bowl game when they weren't that good. So I would say that based on what I've been told, it would be it, the only one option would be Dan Devine. Yeah, so, no, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Josh Miller says, do you guys think that the national championship teams get overdrafted because they play in games at the end that everyone sees like the owners fall in love with a kid while watching the natty? I do think there's something to that, especially when it's a national, when it's a L O it's an, it's an sec team. I I do. I do think that if, if LSU, if you, if Georgia gets pounded by Alabama, I don't know if they, I don't think they'd have 15 kids drafted. And, And I've said this before. You may disagree, Ryan, you're a draft guy. These, GMs and coaches and scouts, they're human beings with emotions too. They can sure. be swayed by, by uh, you know, I, I've pointed out, if you go back and look at the last five years, you look at the top three rounds of the draft and the percentage of SEC picks, especially round one, and then you compare it to the percentage of SEC guys that are on all pro teams, it, it's it's way way more non-SEC guys in pro bowl team or uh, all pro teams than there are drafted in the first round. So I do think the SEC – I think Alabama's had guys overdrafted for years because I think sometimes the the, the the whole, you know, is better than the necessarily the individual parts, right? And that, I just think that to be true. And so I do think there are several guys for Georgia that got overdrafted. If Georgia goes eight and four this year, Ryan, do you think Trayvon Walker is the number one pick in the NFL draft? I don't. No, no, because if they go eight and four, that means a lot of those guys didn't take step forward, right? Like they weren't great – as good as they – were it could have been players, other guys. It know. could have been Stetson Bennett sucked. You know, well, I just he, I think yeah. when 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 guys look at teams that are successful, they say that I think guys get lifted up, right? Like I just well put it to you like yeah. this: if Trayvon Walker did what he did during the seasons, production wise, and at the combine for Vanderbilt, do you think he's the number one overall pick? Mm, not number one. He would have been overdrafted okay. though, either way with those athletic right. testing numbers. But no, right. I, I agree. I agree with it because there's a stigma around being a winner, right? Like the right. quote unquote winner. And that, that so would have, that would have definitely been Fitzpatrick. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's bad. Let's make Quay that's Walker bad. for, I'll make this now see Quay Walker, maybe cause his, his, his numbers are talented. Really good. Yeah. He's talented. Yeah. yeah. Cause we saw that with the kid from Kentucky last year. Right. Yes. I mean, but that many, I just don't – I don't think it would. And yeah, we saw it with, like, no, LSU. I buy that. Yeah, yeah. we saw it with LSU in, in the 2020 draft. There's there were some guys from the LSU team that were drafted exactly where they should have been. I mean, that that was a – there were some I – mean, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson. But there were some guys that got picked probably a little bit higher than they probably should have. I think the Broncos are probably regretting that they drafted Lloyd Cushenberry in the third round at this point in time. Like, man, maybe we should have waited a round or two more. You know, 
that's just the reality of it. And you know, like we've seen it, we've seen it in the past. It so I I think so. Now, does that mean that Georgia would have only had seven guys drafted if they didn't win a title? No, I'm not saying that. I'm right. not saying that at all. They still would have had a lot of guys drafted, but it would have been like more normal, like last year, like 10. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I just I think it's the combination of them winning a title plus them being an SEC team. That yeah. that's that's what I think. I'd buy that. I buy that. When you said the Alabama overdrafted thing is a bad that the first person I thought of was um was uh Alex Leatherwood going sixteenth to the uh oh, LA, I mean, everybody knew that Alabama. one. Everybody knew that one. Well, Everyone like the Ryan knew. Anderson. I mean, we could we could have such a long list of guys that were drafted in the first round that did almost nothing in the NFL. I mean, James Carpenter. I mean, DJ Fluker's been a nice player, but nothing like where he was drafted. Ryan no. Anderson it got cut by the Redskins like before. He's a second round pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so it, it's 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 been it, yeah, it, it's a lot. It, it, there's a lot Drake, of Drake Kirkpatrick and yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of guys, yeah. man. Of Real guys. quick here. Um, Hulk strongest with a super chat. Thank you for that. Uh, what can you, what can you guys, uh, what do you guys think about the new receiver, Joshua Manning? So we were asked yeah. about this um, earlier, but he did a super chat. So I wanted to give you a chance to kind of maybe dive into a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Hulk strongest, if you're, if you're not on the message board, I, I started doing these little, instant breakdowns types of pieces on the players that are offered recently. So if you want to go on there, I have a little more of an in-depth kind of look into Joshua Manning, who is of course the wide receiver out of Missouri. I mean, kind of basically the, the biggest highlights of, of Joshua for me is that the fact that he's listed at six foot, 390 pounds, he's got a really nice frame and he's very, very explosive. He's got long strides. You look into his track background, he's a 23 plus foot long jumper. He's also a kick returner for the team that averaged like 42 yards per kick. So this is a very explosive player. I think that there is a huge upside to him as a boundary receiver because I think that he can kind of get on top of defenders and he can really win vertically a ton, which is kind of the biggest selling point. The offense that he plays in right now, though, the only the only thing that you're going to have to look at with him is that he has some flexibility to him. I think he can run routes, but in the offense he runs right now, he runs a fade or he runs a screen. That's all he does mm-hmm. right now, pretty much all across the film, at least on his highlights. That's all he does. So you're going to need to develop the finer points of playing receiver, but from a height, weight, speed combination, Joshua Manning's a really impressive player. I was very, very impre- mm-hmm. impressed because some of the recruiting services do not have high grades on him right now. A couple do, but a couple mm-hmm. do not. Get to a few more here. We do have a super chat from Alberto. Thank you, Alberto. Just my, our Spanish friend. Just a question, Brian. The other day you said there's a difference between being the leader and the team to beat. Would you mind explaining? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily say if there's a difference between being the leader and the team to beat. I'd have to kind of think to the context of what I said. But basically, if if you're the leader, it's you're the team everybody has to beat, right? It's different than being committed. If a kid's committed, there's it, a little bit more of a connection there. If you're just the leader, it's kind of like, okay, you're the announced leader. Now everybody's all the other six teams the kids looking at are all zeroing in on you. I think that's kind of where I'm I'm coming from with that, Ryan. And I know you got to leave here. There's a couple ones I wanted to get to you here before we go. And and look, we're not going to sure. get to as many questions today as we normally did. We had a couple that went super long answers, and I apologize <laughs> for that. There were some great questions early, uh, and and I can't believe we're at three hours already. Like this this has been a great show. It's been a fun show, and I apologize we're not going to get to many questions. But we will have a show tomorrow. And we will open it up for Q&A after we talk about uh, whatever the decision that Devin Hughes is going to make. First of all, Craig Daughtry, this hurts my heart. Craig says, first, Brian doesn't like gravy. 
now Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to have to rethink my membership. Please don't. We can all <laughs> we can all have one love. It's Notre Dame, right? Just because you may not like my movie taste or the fact that I don't like Grave, but we can still all be friends and family. I won't we, we judge can, you. We can fix this, Craig. Yes. We can fix this. Well, well, I'm pretty sure you're not going to fix that. Um, I just don't like that movie. Here's a good one that I wanted to get to you, though, Ryan, because this is kind yep. of a draft question. And I'm not sure if you have a feeling on this. Irish Gordian Knott says, if Nicholas Pettit-Friere goes to Notre Dame and is coached by Harry Heastan, do you think he gets developed into a first-round pick? I thought that kid was going to be a star. I'm going to add one more caveat that has to be a part of this. Matt Bayless. Well, that's what I was going to say is I think I think Matt Bayless is, is just as important as as working with Harry Eastand, honestly. it's it's It was never a talent issue with a guy like Nicholas Petit-Friere, who went, I think, in the third round to the Tennessee Titans, if I remember correctly, this year. Mm-hmm. It's about his frame. I just don't love his frame, and I think that Ohio State put too much weight on that frame and that mm-hmm. hurt his foot quickness and his flexibility. I just did not think that they did him any justice. I mean, that kid coming out of high school – you were like, wow, that kid is a fleet-footed mover at offensive tackle. And then all of a sudden he gradu- he leaves Ohio State, and you're just like, he's kind of a plotter. Like he's not mm-hmm. a the same athlete he was. So if he's on a staff that has both Matt Bayless and Harry Heastan, I think there's a there's a good chance that that happens because I think that mm-hmm. Matt Bayless would have kept him. Brian said this before, like 295 and would have kept him looking – a, and if he did get to 300 or 305, it would have happened over a four-year period, kind of like Zach Martin. He was like 290 and then 295 and then finally at 300, and that wasn't even under Matt Bayless. But Paul, exactly. that was one thing Paul Longo was good about. He didn't pile weight on guys. That's one thing I'll give him credit for. He didn't pump weight on guys. He believed in explosiveness and all that, too. He just wasn't as good as Matt Bayless at it, especially later in his tenure. But yeah, if he even if he did get to that weight, Ryan, and three fifteen was always way too much. If he yes. did get to three bills, it would have been like in his final year. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think if he would have come to Notre Dame with Bayless and Harry Heastan, I think he's a first round pick. Yes. I yeah. Do. He sh- he should he should have been a 300, 295 to three hundred pound offensive tackle who's going to excel in 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 wide zone and inside zone schemes. Like that should have been a great pass pro guy. He should have been an elite pass pro guy. And he was not at all because he lost his foot speed to your points. I mean, exactly. And and that was his game. Athleticism was his game. There's no doubt. And there was one more that would quickly get to Ryan, before you get out of here, it's a recruiting question from Keith Wiegand is Osbury the only linebacker recruiting. Now I put this in there because obviously we talked about Samuel Pemba, but then I got a text from you during the show. Uh, yes. about another linebacker. So go ahead and answer that one before you head out of here. Yeah, I mean, so he no, he's not the only linebacker that's on the board left. Samuel and Pembo, like Brian just said, they're recruiting as a rover out of IMG Academy is a player that they really like, obviously have liked for a long time. Darian Gallette's another guy out of Texas that they like a ton. I just talked to his coach this, um, this afternoon. He's planning to make Notre Dame one of his official visits. But those have not been finalized quite yet. But you should you should not be surprised if when he does set up his visits that Notre Dame is one that Darian Gillette is going to be taken. That's what it sounds like right mm-hmm. now, anyway, unless something changes. So we should be seeing Darian Gillette on campus, you know, during the summer at some point, it does seem. So those are three of the top names. Seems that Notre Dame has maybe transitioned a little way from Tamir Robinson, but I think that those three guys specifically are guys that you should keep an eye on moving forward for the linebacker board. Mm-hmm. Good one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really, man, Darren Gillette is a freak, man. He, his athleticism is insane. He is, but it, nobody's going to surpass my, surpass Jaden Osbury as my favorite linebacker though on the board right now. They're just, 
he's just got things that you just can't teach, man. I absolutely love it. Like, I just keep thinking Jonathan Vilma, Jonathan Vilma, Jonathan Vilma. Every time I watch that kid play, that's just what keeps <laughs> popping in my head. So, Ryan, I got Fair. a couple more I'm going to answer here. I know you got to run uh, and, and go get the little one. So I appreciate you joining us today and uh, with us for a couple hours. So I really appreciate that, man. Very, absolutely, very, guys. Very much. I got about six more here, five more here I want to get to here real quick before I get out of here. Let's get Ryan off the chat. There we go. Uh, John A1, this is a good one. Who would you say was the most impactful college defensive player? Manti Taylor in 2022, and Sue, Charles Woodson, Deion Sanders, the field. So, like, I'm only going to go, John, with my lifetime. Of that group, I got to put Manti fourth. Manti had a great year in 2012, but Sue, when he was in his prime in college, was a monster. Charles Woodson in his last year at Michigan was an insane talent because he didn't just impact you on defense. He could return punts. He could play receiver. But even as a, as a defensive player, I mean, the interception he had against Michigan State was insane. I mean, he could literally take your best receiver out of the game. I mean, literally. You don't – lockdown – like true lockdown corners don't come along very often. Dion was a little bit before my time. So I I can't really speak to Dion. I mean, I remember Dion Sanders from the standpoint of I remember that he played at Florida State. You know, he he was obviously played in '88, but I can't tell you that I watched a lot of him. Like I read about him in magazines. Like obviously, I mean, I I watched him on Sports Center. I mean, I knew Dion at Florida State, and but as far as like seeing him enough to be able to compare him to the other three. It would just be on reputation alone, and I don't think it's fair. So I'm going to take Dion out just because I just don't – I don't remember him as much as I do the other guys. Of those three guys, the most impactful was probably Woodson because of all he could do, and Dominick and Sue because he could just – I mean, Manti was somewhat reliant on what was in front of him, and that's that's just the nature of being a linebacker. That's not a knock on Manti. And we saw this in the pit game when Lewis Nix didn't play in the first half. I mean, they were getting a Manti and chopping him the whole first half. And, again – that's part of the game. Whereas with Sue, I mean, he could just take a game over. He could just dominate the line of scrimmage. And I mean, you couldn't do anything about it. I, I think Indomitian and Sue, and I'd be curious kind of what everybody else in the chat thinks of that group. But Indomitian and Sue to me uh, was, was just a phenomenal, phenomenal player and, and dominant, impactful, just could take a game over. He was really, really impressive. I'd, I'd be curious what you all think. And, and for some of those that are older than me and remember Dion, I'd love to hear what you think. You know, of those Manti 2012, Dominican Sue, Charles Woodson, Dion Sanders, or the field, is there somebody else? Because, like, if you were to ask Lou Samoji this question, I'm pretty sure he would – he'd probably start talking about Ross Browner. I mean, I, I've heard Ross Browner was an insanely good player uh, in college. But, I mean, Ross Browner's career – Notre Dame career was over before I was born. I can't really talk about that. But – I'd be curious what people's people's are, are to that. Absolutely. Kevin Hardy says, I've been meaning to ask this since the burner account mentioned it, but what would it mean for the program if Jack and Father Jenkins were to retire in a couple of years? Well, with Jack, it just depends on who they replace him with. I mean, you know, I don't personally like Jack Swarbrick all that much, Um just in my few brief interactions, but I think he's been a really good athletic director for the most part. He's been really good for the college game. I mean, he, he was the driving force, the driving force behind getting, not letting the super conferences happen. He's done a lot of good things in Notre Dame. 
there's some things he would have done different, just like there's people think there's th- that I would do things different doing my job. You, no one's perfect, and you're always going to find things to fault. But I think he's done a, a really good job as the AT at Notre Dame for football. I, I don't follow the other sports close enough to know that. But for football, he's done a phenomenal job. Facilities, athletics as a whole, he's done a phenomenal job. And look, in the last 10 years, Notre Dame's won national championships in women's basketball. They've won, they've gone to the Frozen Four. They continue to be, you know, fencing, do what they do. The baseball teams turn, you know, get re- getting going. The men's basketball team was to a couple of elite eights. There's a lot of sports in Notre Dame that have been successful in the last 10 years. Football's been really good. I don't think you can not give him some credit for that. And and so uh, I think he's done a great job. So if you're going to replace him, you're going to have to replace him with someone else who's very, very, very competent, not just competent, but very, very good at the job. Father Jenkins, I'm just going to say this briefly and move on from it because I don't really want this to start something, but I I think it will be better for Notre Dame when he's gone. I, I think his lack of leadership in certain areas has been, uh, especially in recent years, has been uh, um, embarrassing to me. That's just my two cents. And uh, it's a lot of different things, not just football related. So I, and I had a conversation with a friend the other day about some of the candidates and from what I hear, it's going to be good replacements, uh, and it'll be good for Notre Dame to have him not there. I just, I just, uh, I think it's going to be good for Notre Dame if they make the right hire when Father Jenkins is gone. I'm more concerned about what happens with Jack Swarbrick when he's gone. That, that's going to be a, that's going to be some big shoes to fill for somebody. Jack says, "Hey guys, my wife thinks the offensive holding penalty is dumb because isn't that what an offensive lineman is supposed to do? I tried to explain it, but can you guys do better? Why is holding bad?" So holding is bad is because it gives the offensive player an unfair advantage relative to the the talent level of the two players. So when you talk about, you know, who's going to win a battle in football, it's a one-on-one type of thing. You know, it's me and my athleticism and my technique compared to you and your athleticism and your technique. A defensive player doesn't benefit in the line from holding the way that an offensive player does. And so if I use, if I'm faster than you or bigger than you or quicker than you, or my technique is better than you and I beat you, you need to take the L, right? Or try to recover. But holding is an unfair advantage that negates my ability to beat you. It's the same thing on, on the, on the opposite side when you're talking on outside. So like a receiver versus a DB. Now the DB is the one that gets the unfair advantage. So if I beat you and I'm about to go by you and you grab and hold me, you're now having an unfair advantage that I can't really counter. And I don't have a, 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 a similar thing in my repertoire to go to, to beat you. And so it's really about, it's outside the framework of the way the game is supposed to be played. And it gives one side an unfair advantage on the particular play. So you can get beat and recover and it's not recovering with good technique or talent. You're recovering by cheating. That's the best thing that I can come up with. Rob Osgood said, hey, guys, question for the defense. What offensive line will be the toughest Notre Dame will face this year? And for offense, what will be the toughest D-line Notre Dame will face? Defensive line is easy. We've talked about this one before. It's Clemson. I mean, Clemson, to me, is the best defensive line Notre Dame is going to face all all year this year. I I think Clemson will have the best – Clemson has a a chance to have the best defensive line in college football, period. And – not just Notre Dame's schedule. Offensive line is a little bit of a, a better question. I'd have to do a little more thinking about that one and, and really look at who comes back or not. Like I thought the kid from Marshall was coming back. I didn't even realize he transferred from Virginia Tech till Brian told me or Ryan told me. So I'm gonna have to look at that one. But 
the good thing is, Rob, that is definitely already on the summer schedule. We're going to go through every team and you know, best quarterbacks, best running backs, best lines, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have a lot to talk about when our, we to our opponents when we get into this, this season. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But the defensive line was easy. It's it's Clemson. I think Clemson might have the best defensive. I mean, we, everybody talks about Brian, Brian Breezy and Miles Murphy. I think Tyler Davis is a really good football player if he's healthy. He's back too. So that's another one. Rob Compton, how much do you think Buckner benefits from Brian Kelly leaving and Tommy Reese? Uh, let me see if I can find the second part of your question. Rob, it looks like there might have been more to it. Nope, did not add on to it. So, and Tommy being, I guess, the you know, the main guy kind of in charge for that one. So I think for me, it it comes down to I do think it's benefit. I think that I think that number one, I'm a big believer that you need to have as few people in a quarterback's ear as possible, especially during a game. I, I want a quarterback talking to two people, the coordinator and the quarterback's coach. That is it. I don't want the head coach getting in his face, screaming at him every time he comes off field. Because Malik Zaire's talked about this. Uh, I've talked to other players in the past. Like a quarterback would come off the field. Brian Kelly be in his ear telling him one thing. And this isn't practice and games. Then he'd go over to the assistant coach, the quarterback's coach, and he's telling him something different. And then the offensive coordinator tells him something different. And you're getting like two to three different stories, and that's terrible. And so I just I think Brian Kelly became a negative influence on quarterbacks pretty soon into his Notre Dame career, especially once he gave up play calling. And so I just I, I look at it and say, I think that's going to be a look, there's going to be one person talking to you know, Brian Polian. There's going to be one person talking to Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, and it's going to be Tommy Reese. That's it. Now, in regards to instruction, now, the, you know, it's like, here's what you need to do. Now, if Tommy's up in the booth, which I think he will be, you're going to have, you know, either Chancey Stuckey or Dylan McCullough, who's ever's down the field, relaying plays or relaying instruction, you know, like during a timeout. And he may say, hey, you know, hey, do this, but he's telling him what Tommy Reese wants him to, to be told. You may have Marcus Freeman come off to him and say, hey, keep your head up, shake it off. Hey, I need you to do this. I need you that. But it's not reading the defense. It's more of the head coach things you need him to do. Hey, you know, keep your head up. Don't worry about it. Need you to, you know, hey, need you to protect the ball and then go hear from Coach Reese on how, that kind of thing. But it'll be more bigger picture stuff that all head coaches do, not the head coach trying to tell him what to do or how to read it or what he should have saw when oftentimes it, it just wasn't – it wasn't what everybody else was saying. So – that was uh, that was my issue there. So I think in a lot of ways that's going to be a benefit for Tyler Buckner, and it, and that's why I say we're going to learn a lot about Tommy Reese this year. If Tyler Buckner does what I think he's going to do, his talent's part of it, but Tommy Reese developing him and and being that consistent voice is going to be a big part of that. I, I, there, there, there's no question about it. So, Rob, I think it's a it's a it's a really important thing. I'm gonna we're gonna end this. We have one more question. This is a good one. Just popped in. Fill in the blank. Notre Dame wins a playoff game or New Year's Six Bowl this year if, and there's not one thing, if what we just talked about with Tyler Buckner is legit. Tommy Reese has got him playing at a high level. Harry Heastan is who we think he is. At least one receiver steps up opposite Lorenzo Styles to be a good player. And Al Golden keeps things rolling with the defense. If those things happen, I think Notre Dame has a shot to win a championship this year. And I don't think any of those things are way out of the question. I, look, I, I may be off here. 
I just I have I feel like the changes that were made, the talent Notre Dame has coming back, the playmaker they have at quarterback, if they can just somewhat stay healthy and the quarterback pans out, I feel like this team has a chance to do something special. And I, I think there's a lot of assumptions about well, they can't win this game or that game and and the stuff. And and I don't know if Notre Dame's gonna be better now that Brian Kelly's gone. I, I don't know, but I believe they will. And I'm gonna be proven right or wrong about Brian Kelly here in the next couple of years. We'll find out. But I really felt like he was holding the team back. And we'll find out if Marcus Freeman's a guy to take him forward. We don't know the answer to that, but I, I believe that he will be. And I believe the talent is there to be it. So come on, everyone. Like Make AK says, join the message board, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to our message board as well. Hit that notification bell, share the podcast, leave a five-star review. And as always, in the words of Mace AK, go Irish. Thank you all so much. I enjoyed the show. We'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock. We are going to talk about the upcoming decision by Devin Houston, the 2023 defensive lineman from Maryland, who will be making his decision between Notre Dame, Michigan, and several other schools tomorrow. You're definitely going to want to tune in tomorrow at four o'clock. So make sure you're there with us for that. We'll break it down. And then afterwards, we will have a Q&A tomorrow more. So if you had a question that I didn't get to today, save it, bring it back with you tomorrow. We'll have a lot more going tomorrow. So everybody, have a great, awesome rest of your day. Thank you all so much. We will talk to you soon. Appreciate you all being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.